the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good morning, everybody. If you uh, just tuned in, let's, let's start get positive. I think this is a great one, by the way. It's a great quote. The greatest of faults is to be conscious of none. <laughs> I think that was Tom Carlyle. Uh, not sure, but I think it was. Anyway, uh, we've got one week to go to our seminar, and I don't think we have many spots left. So uh, if you're interested, I'd get on the horn today. Um, I think uh, I think we've got like five spots maybe, and uh, that's all I can tell you. So if you want to uh, get involved, uh, you know, we're going to have – Marshfield, who's a deep value manager. Uh, you know, it was funny. I had a couple of people say, hey, we looked these guys up. You know, there's nothing fancy. I said, the question is, when did they buy the stuff? And uh, they all smiled, re- realizing that, you know, um, most of these were bought when nobody wanted them. And that's the key to deep value. And Bob Dickey, uh, you know, I think we're going to reverse the order. Uh, he's going to go second, so he has a little bit more time this year. Um you know, Bob's run won more awards for his technical uh, analysis than probably uh, any f- four or five people on Wall Street. He's been doing it for a long, long time. I think you'll find him very interesting. Last year, if you would listen to him closely, he said, "Look out below," and uh, he was right. <laughs> uh, he said it in a very nice way, by the way. But anyway, if you go to my web page, if you Google or Bing Tim Hayes Radio. Uh, just hit the contact me or email me, and uh, we can we can get the. Get, well, I don't. If there's a massive people thing, we might have to do something else. But uh, uh, got maybe four or five left. That's all. Now, remember, I keep saying this. Do you have the old or the new type of life insurance? And uh, the old, you you have premiums, death benefit, maybe cash value. The new, you have a living benefit, whereas you can tap the benefit during your lifetime to pay for long term care, uh, which is a really kind of a good idea. <laughs> Because long-term care is expensive, folks. Uh, you can also sign up for our newsletter. Our new newsletter has Social Security benefits, uh, survivor benefits, something you should know, uh, rules on opening a 529 plan. 529 plan is to pay for your co- child or co- uh, grandchild's uh, college. What's interesting about these plans is uh, if you don't use them, you're just going to get taxed. If you do use them, you never get taxed again. So. And how does your employer's retirement plan compare to everybody else's? Uh, and that would be an interesting thing. A couple pieces. Uh, most people who have read through these really like them. Uh, I, had, I had a cup of, well, actually I had a Coca-Cola with a gentleman this week and a cup of coffee with a young lady. And, and uh, then her husband showed up about uh, 20 minutes later uh, called Rewriting Retirement. And both of them really kind of praised the thing, and they were only halfway through. So I highly recommend this. It's, it's it makes you think about a lot of different subjects, and uh, I, you know I think it's a really good piece. 
Uh, also, I, I mentioned this again, the Technology, Internet, Media, and Telecommunications Conference. I'm only going to offer this a little bit longer because, I mean, this is way back in November. Some of these stocks are, you know, they're probably going to get beat up a little bit coming back, uh, coming back at you. But, man, some of them are really dynamite ideas. And uh, just the, the software area is just going to be hot for several years to come, I think. Um, also, uh, you know, we have a service where if you have a trust or an estate plan, Look, 99% of the time, the lawyers are absolutely right. You know, they, they set the estate plan up as, as legally as it can be. The question is, is it what you want? Okay? Because sometimes that doesn't translate. And so if you'd like us to look at it, uh, we'd be glad to. I do have a piece out called Social Security at Glance. Uh, is available to everybody. Hey, dividend stocks, I think, are going to make a, uh, a comeback here. And I, I, I you know, talk about a couple other things. Good time to do spring cleaning. The reason I say that is because the bullish percent is like a percentage point away from breaking down, even with the the rally, you know, uh, in the market. So, uh, you know, the, that just says that the rally is is going. We're, we're rallying with less and less uh, companies. Okay, so all right. So according to the Treasury Department, the deficit hit three hundred ten billion during the first four months of the. 2019, that's up 77% versus a year ago. Uh, median compensation for 132 chief executives of S&P 500 companies reached 12.4 million, up from 11.7 million. By the way, what they don't say is the average lifespan of a CEO is about four years. Uh, between 1975 and 2016, ob- obesity almost tripled worldwide, according to the World Health Organization. Nearly 40% of over 18s uh, some 1.9 million adults are now overweight. All right. Uh, you know, I, I read something about autonomous driving this week. I thought it was kind of interesting. And um, it, it's driving uh, assistance technology, known as, uh, such as safety features, is saving lives and reducing costs associated with accidents. It's also an important step in high-stakes uh, race to develop autonomous vehicles. And, boy, there's a, a lot of people vying for this. You know, um, there was a major truckload company, uh, Emergency Braking System, which is just one form of driver assistant, resulted in a 69% decrease in rear-end accidents just recently. So that's kind of interesting. Driving uh, Driver assistant technology has become common in new cars and advances are occurring at really at an accelerating pace right this moment. Uh, big companies are burning rubber in the race to, you know, to develop these uh, vehicles. Uh, for the first nine months of 2008, uh, we checked, and it was $5.8 billion in ad- uh, uh, autonomous uh, driving ins- investments, uh, including, you know, uh, SoftBank pumped $2.25 billion into GM. So it's a big race, and it would be interesting to see who wins. But uh, you know what? I still love taking the car out on a Sunday afternoon and, and cruising. But, you know, one of the things we, we talked about in one of our portfolio insights this week is what is greenwashing? Why does it matter? Greenwashing is sometimes known as a green sheen. Is a form of marketing to portray your products as environmentally friendly when it actually they're not. Uh, as demand for investment uh, affiliated responsible investing in environmental, social, and governance type of stuff, um, there's there's a big risk that greenwashing increases. And uh, you know it it appears first to the risk appears in two ways. Let's put it this way: first, firms that claim ESG integration may not implement it in practice, and second, firms about absent Intentional ESG practices may arbitrarily achieve high ESG ratings from third parties nonetheless. So it's kind of interesting. But uh, 
Ultimately, we believe the ESG investment uh, funds should purposely uh, integrate some of those factors in and see what happened. But it's amazing when you when you have a third party come in and rank you, how green you can you say you you know you can be. Okay, and uh, so for all those for all you greenies out there, um, you know you're going to be careful. by the way, we, we kind of look at it four ways because we we do this stuff. And we look at the firm, the product, the investment professionals involved, the performance, and the investment process again. So uh, it, it's one of those things that, you know, we're, we're constantly screening these things. So I had a great question this week uh, from uh, Julie. And Julie said, Tim, what's the difference between a tax credit and a tax deduction? Now, look, I'm not an accountant, so I'm just going to tell you I went to TurboTax, who's an authority, uh, and a tax credit actually reduces your tax dollar for dollar. Okay. So that's number one. Uh, a tax deduction, uh, although it's, it, it sounds is an expense or an exemption that will ultimately boost your bottom line, your taxable income. So that's the two differences. The, the difference with the tax credit is that these are subtracted from your total liability rather than your taxable income. Okay. So that's the big difference. Um, The FMOC, <laughs> you know, they, they made a, had a very dovish call, and it, the bond market just rallied big uh, this week. We went under 2.4%, and uh, it does look like uh, the financial conditions are loosening up quite a bit. Uh, the financial, I mean, the federal open market policy re- remained neutral, and things, things got really kind of hairy in the bond markets. Uh, if you were long, you made a lot of money. It's that simple. So now... Um, you know, you feel like it's it's the land of Oz or something like that because the Fed is the all-powerful wizard who's in control. And uh, they didn't do too good a job in 2008. But, uh, you know, I guess the question is, look, you had first you had quantitative easing uh, while equities fell nearly 20%. Um, and then you, you had the quantitative easing, kicked in and then you had feds raising rates and unwinding the quantitative easing almost quantitative tightening and <laughs> equities fell 20 percent so i don't know if the fed's always right but uh you know it's, it's kind of interesting it's just amazing how fast the market sentiment turned around uh you know i i looked at it and if you if you looked at how fast it turned around it was i mean in 24 hours we had a lot of people 100 percent bullish and then uh they were you know, almost 35% of them went straight down into the 100% bearish camp. It was three headlines that seemed to spook all the global investors. And number one was an inverted U.S. yield curve. That's where the two-month has a higher yield than the 10-year. The production slowed down in the EU, especially Germany. I mean, the German Bund just, I mean, uh, went down 35, went from 35 basis points, or a basis point is one 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 hundredth of a interest rate, I mean, of 1%. So it's 0.35% to zero in about 24 hours. So that was big, big time. And then uh, uh, the next thing we had was uh, uh, the Brexit, you know, scenario. Can they get a vote for it? So I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, the other thing I noticed is that, um, you know, I looked at the long-term moving average, and uh, I'm looking at the 10-week moving average and uh, how positive it was for, the different funds. And I mean, we went from all the way from 92, all the way down to four uh, last year. 
and we, we rallied back up from four to 39. Now the question is, will we test again? I, I think the answer to that is yes. So, um, look, uh, you know, last year, um, in March and, and April and that, I, I kind of suggested that there would be an inflation scare and I said, it'd be a scare. And, you know, I don't know if you saw what happened to palladium this week, <laughs> Whew, straight down. And, uh, you know, oil is probably the only reason we're not hitting a new low on the um, on the Commodity Research Bureau Index. So now what we've seen is this yield curve inversion. And uh, you, usually, you know, the, the first thing to remember is in rising rates don't automatically spell doom for the stock market. Um, sometimes it's rates coming down really quick. Uh, so some say, you know, with a uh, inverted yield curve, recession is Im- imminent, but the other thing is, you know, got to remember that domestic equities tend to outperform in the first several months. So, uh, you know, you got to look at sector correlation here. And 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 look, normally when you have a steepening yield curve, it's materials, communication services, energy, financials, etc. Uh, you know, and but now it's utilities, real estate investment, trusts, and dividends. On the, on the other side, the fixed income group, the long bond is the best one. The convertible bond's second, but lose steam pretty quick. And the municipal uh, bond area looks really, really good. Uh, and corporate bonds, uh, you can't tell there's a recession by corporate bonds or municipals. And that's kind of interesting. So, look, I, I think if you look in this environment, what you want to do is extend duration, maturity, and improve credit quality on your in your uh, bond portfolio. We'll be back. Take a, take a break. This is Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. And just uh, continuing on, you know, if you look, you know, what I'd be probably doing, if I had some bonds that were still down, I'd probably, uh, you know, use those, roll them over, do a tax swap, but improve your credit quality when you when you have yields come down like this. Uh, sometimes you want to extend your duration a little bit, not, you know, maybe, maybe sometimes your maturity, but that way you can increase your income a little bit. Uh, but look, I, I was looking at uh, the sectors that have done well. Uh, since this inversion, and it's been technology, although it's losing direction, utilities uh, and real estate have increased their direction, and sector growth, which has decreased its uh, uh, direction also. Now, we said a couple, three weeks ago that we thought utilities were looking good, but what's very interesting in this whole thing is that uh, stuff like the Shanghai Index is broken out. You know, what I mean by that, it's, it's broken its downtrend line, and a downtrend line is a psychological barrier that's, that the, that whatever the stock or commodity, whatever, keeps bumping up against and then falling back. Well, it broke through this time. So that's kind of interesting. If you look at, you know, I looked at ETFs in China all across the board, um, and they're, they're all, you know, they're all breaking their downtrend line. And, and uh, I must have looked at eight or nine of them. And I'm, I'm talking about point-and-figure charts now. So that's a big positive. So it, it's, 
you're starting to see some of the foreign markets. The EEM also looks like it wants to go higher, you know, that type of thing. Emerging markets. But uh, look, I, I looked, and the top group scores, you know, the, I've been talking about this value versus growth thing for some time. The top group scores have been growth uh, or income. And so it's been technology, utilities, real estate, all sector growth, large cap growth, mid cap growth, aggressive growth, and the internet. And then biotechnology is uh, making a run uh, at this point. So uh, the, the other one is energy and and. You know, what, what I'm seeing is I'm looking at some of the actual oil or natural gas ETFs. Now, not the ones that have the stocks in them, but actually have the commodities in them. And I noticed a couple of the, you know, like the Brent, uh, Brent broke its downtrend line and uh, a few other names like that. So we're starting to see some, um, some interesting scenarios. Now, look, we'll probably repeat this a million times, but, um, you know, we, we keep talking about this, the difference between value and growth and, uh, if you look at value uh, on a, you know, if we if 100% participation is a straight line across the page, you know, value is slightly worse than it was in 1999. Okay, so it's it's been a while. The other thing is is that on a 10-year rolling or annualized return, 10-year rolling return, this is the first time that gross outperformed value other than the tech bubble. Hmm. So uh, it's one of those things that you want to be be aware of, you know what I mean, and and, and kind of look over your shoulder a little bit. But I, I think you know, you know, with the inverted yield curve, what you got to do is you got to have, you got to think that the caution flag is is waving. It's not, we're not throwing a red flag. We're yelling, throwing a yellow flag at this point. Um, you know, look, all good things, even economic cycles, come to an end. So uh, the winds of change are blowing a little bit. So the question is. What will the Fed do? Will they allow for the recession? You know, does, will it create a recession? Look, I, I'm not seeing too much pullback in economic activity yet, anyway. So we'll see what happens. But uh, but it's just been a blip for U.S. earnings. I mean, it, it, you know, if we saw some b- bad stuff in the fourth quarter, and then the first quarter we saw some good stuff. But that all starts next week, so it'll be really uh, interesting um, going forward. So, all right. So, n- number one, I, I looked at um, – so a lot of charts this week, and I guess the thing that uh, that I saw, I think the next two quarters, if I'm correct, there'll be a lot of noise. Okay, look, if we if we if a recession starts in May, what happened in December already predicted it. So by the time we're in the recession, we've already sold off. By the time we're coming out of the recession, we're probably already going up. Okay, so you got to understand that the stock market anticipates things way ahead of time. So. Uh, look, I, financials, uh, you know, we've been pounding the table on them. And, and at this point, I would say we're wrong so far. Uh, and, and I'm talking RBC <laughs> uh, has been pounding the table on them. So it's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you're, you're in a situation where they, they looked like they were going to break out and then they died. But also, you know, I said I thought we'd rally between 2.5% and 3% on the 10-year Treasury, and we're at 24 uh, as of Friday. So um, so I think what's going to happen is the financials are going to back and test new lows. And, you know, I thought they were going to be leadership. Now, I'm not sure that's going to still be the case um, going forward, you know, because of the way they're just by the chart pattern. Uh, so we'll see. Um, now, th- this happened in 1994, and uh, then 1995, the – the uh, financials really roared ahead. So 
Now, look, I, I think um, there's a lot of technical evidence right now of an intermediate term tactical pause developing. I don't know how big this pause is going to be. I think, you know, you know, what happened in December kind of told us that there's, you know, there's a good possibility that there is a recession out there. So um, the fact that we rallied back is good, but you're probably going to test that. When you have that kind of a wipeout like we did in December, you're always going to test the low again. You know, I've been saying that for some time now. So uh, the weekly momentum uh, figures have been peaking for leadership uh, and bottoming for some of the defensive sectors. You know, we talked about staples and utilities uh, starting to bottom last week, and I think that's going to happen. And, and like I said, you know, the 10-year bond broke below 2.5%. I expected it to hold, to be honest with you, and I was very surprised that it didn't. Um, I think you can expect a, a trading bounce because the uh, the weekly and daily relative strength momentums are really oversold on the 10-year bond. Uh, bottom line, I think the next two quarters are going to be kind of, ugh, <laughs> not going to be great, not going to be bad. This is where the dividend stocks, you know, uh, help. Uh, I would, however, uh, some, you know, I mean, tactically, this is tactically now, not investing long-term, but there's some pretty good-looking uh, stocks in the Staples area and in the healthcare area and communication services that look good. The other thing, when yields come down like this, you, last week the homeowners, even though they had bad uh, home builders, I'm sorry, even though they had bad numbers, rallied, which I thought was kind of interesting. And technology leadership is showing some evidence of pausing or consolidating. In some of the software names that we have on that, uh, uh, you know, that thing I'm, I'm talking about sending out, that technology, internet, media, and, and telecommunications group, I would suggest uh, if they pull back their buys. Now, look, we had this four-year cycle we've been talking about, and I think if we look at the S&P 500 versus the, the 10-year Treasury, the uptrend in the S&P 500 versus it versus the 10-year Treasury is still intact. So uh, I don't see anything like, hey, you know, jump to bonds right away or anything like that. But I do think it's going to be a couple sloppy quarters. And, uh, you know, it, when this happens, it's usually either a couple sloppy quarters or look out below real quick, you know, and I don't know. But, uh, but you know, in, in, in 2016, uh, the S&P 500 paused for almost six weeks uh, after the quadrant balance data, which is a momentum indicator, uh, moved above 90. And so this is the similar thing that we got going here. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh you know, the Russell, the weekly quadrant balance uh, indicator actually turned down. So the, the Russell should probably test uh, along with everything. Now, once again, I looked at some of the emerging markets ETFs. I looked at eight of them, and I looked at the point and figure chart and the regular chart, and they're all shaping up nicely. They've broken their downtrend line, so they're, they're back to being somewhat of a solid citizen. And, and they're kind of pausing under the resistance right around their 200-day moving average. So if they were to break through that, that would be really, really positive, I think. Uh, and and once again, uh, so I, I I got a email and uh, on Friday, and it was from Rick. And Rick said, "Tim, now that your two fifty call on the ten year bond yield is has been blown apart, where do you see the next support?" <laughs> Thanks, Rick. <laughs> he uh, well, you know, call spade a spade. Uh, I would say between two percent and two point three percent has really good support. Uh, so we'll find out what's happened. The weekly momentum on that is really oversold. I mean, it's extremely oversold. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, if this holds. The dollar rallied up a little bit to 97 um, on Friday, and so it was a positive reaction. Uh, 
And I think the reason the dollar's rallying is how do you buy U.S. bonds? So if the yields come down, it's probably, you know, German. If you're, if you're in Germany and, and you're getting zero on your, on your bank account or through government bonds, you take your money and you move to the U.S. where you can get 2.4. And the way you buy bonds is through dollars. So you got to buy dollars. You got to use dollars to buy U.S. bonds. So the dollar rallied this week, and I think it'll stay. I think it'll stay range bound between ninety five and ninety seven. Last time I said that, I ate my words. That was Friday. Uh, crude oil futures. I still think you know that sixty sixty four area is where we'll probably top out. You know, gold uh, until we break thirteen eighty on gold. I'm I'm not uh, really interested. Uh, I am starting to see some of the growth cyclical leadership beginning to peak. Uh, I think they're in lines with some of the expectation of the broader market pause in that second quarter that I talked about. And I'm seeing very, very early uh, defensive sectors uh, starting to bottom. Okay? Uh, you know, I'm talking about utilities, telcos, food, tobacco, that type of thing. But it's early. Don't go, you know, going crazy or anything like that. Uh, so, you know, financials, uh, like I said, I think they're going to make a, another bottom. Uh, utilities, Seem like they're making a nice rounded bottom. Communication services have broken their downtrend line. That's pretty good. And so, so did Staples. Healthcare did also a couple of weeks ago. I think I mentioned that. Uh, consumer discretionary, which is retail basically, you know, is not giving up much. And uh, that that's, seems to be a very strong sector as, as technology. Industrials, materials, and energy, you know, that and the banks, that's that value proposition folks and uh, so the value versus growth growth continues and, and we're at a point where we're actually lower uh, on our scale than we were back in 1999 which is interesting but the stables are showing uh, some relative good relative performance and the medical devices uh, look pretty good but they're you know kind of overbought so you want to wait for them same with the software index I think and semiconductors uh, so I think what's going to happen is he's going to pull back and a pullback will be an excellent opportunity to buy more now, the one thing that worries me is we have utilities hit new highs, and if we if we have the Dow and the transportation hit new highs, we'd have a Dow theory buy signal. Unfortunately, uh, the transportations are right at their downtrend line, so if they break through, that'd be the first positive sign I've seen for a while in the transports. They've been down and out. And and I mentioned gold, and, and I'll mention this. You know, Actually, the GDX, which is a gold ETF or gold stocks, has broken its downtrend line. Got quite a bit of resistance at 24 and a half. So until it breaks through there, uh, you know, that, by the way, the relative performance versus the S&P would turn up too at the same time. So that, that's when I'd be really getting interested. In the meantime, stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is the Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes.
Okay, we're back. Uh, if you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And uh, we're going to talk about insiders now. We talk about insiders every week because uh, they're good ideas. They're usually early. We're only going to look at the big, big buys. Okay, we like big buys. Uh, the smaller buys, unless there's multiple buys, are not as interesting to me, uh, me personally. Um, so anyway, um, this week, there's a company called Candy Technologies. And I thought I'd bring this up because I talked about autonomous vehicles. And these guys are both in electric and autonomous vehicles. And uh, their CEO, uh, who is a major shareholder, bought $776,000 worth after the stock fell from like 9 bucks down to five fifty-two. Uh, he bought $5 million worth at four forty dollars uh, back, I think it was in September, which is interesting. They had a great quarter, and I, I don't know why they fell down, but... Uh, now, we've been talking about this for a while. Heister Yale Materials Holdings. Um, you know, those numerous buyers back when the stock was uh, in the 58, 59 range, and it ran up to 80. Obviously, some bad news came along. And this week, there were 12 buyers on an average of one hundred to $246,000 worth. Uh, I think there was 24 right around that 58 level back uh, in the beginning of 2019. Um, so very interesting. They just keep buying. So something's going on there. It's the Rankin family, by the way. Um, and Tip Tree, uh, you know, several weeks ago, uh, there was a buyer at five. Uh, a director, now it's at 639. A director bought $555,000 on Thursday. And then on Monday, he bought 386000 And the Friday before that, he bought 386000 to the tune of about $1.2 million. So you like seeing that, too. Um, and then uh, Rigel Pharmaceuticals. Now, this is one that is kind of interesting because, uh, you know, they, they bought this with a much higher conversion price. Uh, but they bought the – they used their, their options to buy these. So it's not an official uh, buy, but – uh, Paul Rod, uh, Raul, Raul, <laughs> not New Orleans, uh, Raul Rodriguez, Dr. Raul Rodriguez bought uh, 237,000 shares. Uh, there was eight total buys uh, between 66, 67, 75, 75, 75, 85, 67, 62, you know. So there was eight total buys, uh, and then Dr. Rodriguez bought another 237,000, uh, around two and a half bucks. So... Um, their strike price, by the way, is four forty nine. It's very interesting. Usually, you know that the strike price is above, okay, um, or or below. I'm sorry. You know, you 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 buy it uh, so you have an instant profit. So these guys are buying into it, and not, they don't have a profit. And then uh, we had uh, Logitech, which I think is kind of interesting. Uh, had a hundred thousand shares uh, bought by the. Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. This guy, oh, I'm sorry. This is Nielsen. Uh, and this is really interesting because they bought all this stock thinking that BlackRock was going to purchase them and BlackRock stepped out of it. But we had uh, a gentleman by the name of DeLuca buy 100,000 shares. The CHRO bought 1.4 million. The CFO bought 1.1 million. And then it was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 7, 8, uh, trades between 227,000 share, 
dollars and four hundred forty-five thousand dollars. So um, that's Nielsen, and it was down ten bucks right after they bought it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Verizon. Hmm. We had the CEO of the media group by seventy-nine thousand shares. We had the CFO of the whole company by ninety-three thousand. The CAO bought thir- seventy-five thousand. Uh, a a gentleman, uh, who's, he's the chief operating, uh, officer of, uh, the telecom group, 37,000, uh, a VP, uh, executive vice president bought 137, another one bought 78, and then, uh, our chief technology officer bought 58. 5G's coming. (laughs) 5G's coming. All right. Um, you know, tip tree, I want to just mention it was, uh, it was the executive chairman that bought uh, the stock. He, he bought quite a bit uh, last week, and I said director. Harold Hamm, uh, probably one of the smartest guys in, in oil, bought some more Continental. You may recall that he bought about uh, 30 or $40 million uh, back in uh, January and then again in February. Just bought some more in March. Uh, stock was about 46 then. It's now 44, so he continues to buy. Uh, good sign. Very good sign. Harold Hamm's. The guys in Enterprise Products, uh, Harold Hamm and uh, uh, Richard Kinder, pretty three of the smartest guys on the planet when it comes to oil. Um, I looked at the uh, McQuellen Oscillator and the McQuellen Summation Index, and the McQuellen Oscillator was negative 110 and went to positive 120 in a matter of two months. It's, you don't see that very often. It it's, uh, usually means you're in a good overbought scenario. And, and the the summation index was in a negative 1,110 and went to a positive almost 1,300. And now it's at 800. And I don't think we're going to rally until this thing fades back to zero or a negative 200. Uh, that's what it has done in the past and then, you know, rallied after that. So uh, it's a good overbought, but it's still overbought. <laughs> All right, so you know you you got to remember that it's still overbought, and uh, it's something to think about. So, look, um, I, I think you know uh, Bob Dickey, uh, who who will be at our seminar, by the way, had a great point. He called it sloppy and toppy, and uh, the market looks uh, there's some jittery feelings going on there. Some stocks are going down ten bucks, and you know each day they're shooting a different stock behind the barn. Uh, it was Nielsen one day. Uh, I rhythm the next day, you know, so they're beating these things up. And so the markets are a bit jittery and there's abundance of news. There's a bunch, you know, concerning Brexit, the, the trade deal with China. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, and it's, it's, it's big. So uh, I think what you're going to see is that we, we're coming into earnings season. So it's been a little bit sloppy here and, and we, we're having a hard time getting through uh, like 26, 25 on the S&P 500. I'm sorry, on the uh, Dow Jones. My apologies. So it's, it's tw- uh, 26,250. And we, we're just having a hard time getting through there. And we've made like a little bit of a lower top. So we're probably going to sell off. And my question is, where's support? Now, if it's a hard, fast thing, it probably goes down to 24,000. And that'd be about 2,000 points. That'd be, that would be rough. Uh, it, by the way, there's support at 2350 and there's support at, uh, you know, we're at the bottom in December. So the question is, which one is it going to hold? And, and I don't know. I, I think it would be really interesting to see 
what the Federal Reserve does if it starts to sell off in a big way. Uh, the other thing uh, Bob said this week, and you know, I, the banks are still under pressure. So it looks like they're going to go back and test the low from December, uh, which is unfortunate because that means that uh, uh, we're getting closer. You know, banks don't do great in a uh, uh, recession-type atmosphere. So um, now they're usually uh, one of the first one first groups to come out. Okay. Uh, if there is a recession. So that's the other thing. But the real problem is the relative performance of the S&P 500 just looks terrible. So uh, our banking analyst is wrong so far. And I think that's because I don't think anybody thought that the Fed was going to raise rates in in October and or I'm in December. And I, you know, it looks like if you look at the futures market, um, they think that they're going to lower rates twice this year. So that'll be interesting. So you know, I looked at the, the point and figure charts, and I looked at the um, uh, candlestick charts, and then I looked at the regular charts. And you know, look, there's a lot of short-term support here at 2788 on the S&P 500, which I think translates to 2785 if I look at it, you know, really closely. If we slip down through that level, that would give the bears uh, a chance to maul things a little bit. So uh, the internal indications you know, among the point and figure uh, market components suggests that the core market would hold and improve from here, which if true puts the next resistance level at around 2947 on the S and P. So it'd be interesting to see if that occurs. And then, uh, then finally, uh, the, you know, the, I think the big news once again is the sell off in the treasuries and, and uh, you know, for those, who, you know, who went long bonds or fixed income type assets, Back in May, when May and April, when we said you know yields are up by yield, uh, I've probably done pretty well on those uh, particular situations. So, all right. So, what do you do now? Well, might be a good time to look at the prime income list and the dividend growth portfolio. I also think our best ideas, uh, but you know you you, you want to sit back a little bit because if the bullish percent goes down another percentage point. You know you're going to probably go down and test the low again. Now I you know. How much of a test it is is the question. Tim personally thinks it's it's going to be uh, a little bit sloppy at first, and then it'll kind of go sideways for a couple quarters, and and uh, we'll see what happens then. Uh, but that's my opinion now. Okay, that's Tim's opinion, no one else's. And uh, so what you have to be thinking about right now is, you know, where do we go from here? Uh, do we have a big sell off or do we have a small sell off? And uh, that's the million dollar question. All right, but Right now would be a good time to get uh, a list going of your favorite stocks. Okay, if you don't know what they are. I, I got I got several that I'm actually buying, but they have big dividend yields and they're down and out. Okay, where I think they're they're also in the staple area where I think that they may turn. You know, due to the fact that uh, they are a staple and things you know might be slowing down a little bit. I don't I don't see any terrible slowdown, but I do see a little bit of a slowdown in some of the economic numbers that I've seen. So uh, we've got a, a seminar coming up a week from Monday, the 8th, at the Marriott Airport Hotel. And uh, it's, it starts at 6, goes to 8, and we're going to have uh, some more d'oeuvres. <laughs> and uh, we're going to have our folks from Marshfield come and, and talk to us. Uh, you know, last, last year's conversation revolved around uh, Chipotle, I think it's up like 80, 90% since then. 
Uh, so everybody's giving them a hard time. It'll be interesting to see what they say now. <laughs> and then our friend Bob Dickey, who was talking about an 18.5%, uh, you know, between the, the uptrend and the bottom and the downtrend line. And, uh, you know, he, he hit the nail on the head. So we only got a few more spaces left. So uh, call now or forever hold your peace. In the meantime, we got all the stuff that you can get. Don't forget the internet, media, or uh, telecommunications, internet, media, and, and uh, technology uh, a piece. That's great, too. Hey, thanks for listening. This is Tim Hayes, Smart Investor Hour. Have a great weekend. Buy low and sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.